Well, good morning. That was awful. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so you're my second period class. I had first period at what, nine o'clock, and uh, we survived. If you come back two or three more periods, I'll have this down. Uh, yesterday, my wife asked me if I was going to stay for both services today. And really, she did, and I said, "Well, we'll see how the first one goes." <laughs> but we're back, so we'll make it work here. So, really, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share. It's been—I think it's been a couple years. Actually, the last time I was scheduled to share, um, I got my son here to take care of it. Fortunately, it was on marriage, so he did a great job with that. Um, but you know, I've just really been blessed to be here for lots of years and be under, you know, Roger's teaching originally and then Pastor Shane's. And I'm so encouraged by the young guys, whatever was young compared to me, the young guys that step up and share from their heart. It's just we're really a blessed body of believers to have so many young men that love the Lord. Um, when Shane called me a couple weeks ago, or texted me, wanted to know if I was interested in, in uh, teaching this week, I said yes, and then he told me it was going to be on 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, everybody knows 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. And then I got to thinking about the times that we're living in, and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a really applicable chapter to take a look at. So... Um, we're going to start here. Let me start with a word of prayer, and then we're, we're going to dive in. Uh, Father, thanks. I just so appreciate uh, Sarah's heart as she led worship today, and for the musicians, and those that serve breakfast and handle the soundboard. And well, there's so many little things that take place here that we take for granted. I uh, just thank you for each of those that uh, take that extra time and heart to worship and serve you. Uh, thanks for this uh, time to spend together. So grateful that you are a God of love, that you love us. And pray that as we think about some of those things today, it would motivate us to love those around us even more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be talking about chapter 13. Uh, as I was thinking about chapter 13, I thought, well, I better read 12. And 12 is probably familiar to many of you. It's all about spiritual gifts. Uh, there's a whole list of spiritual gifts. And, you know, it's, it appears like much of the first part of 1 Corinthians is all about some of the conflicts that were taking place in this new church in Corinth. Uh, and chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. And as you read through it, it seems like people are sort of getting the attitude that, you know, my gift's better than your gift, and that makes I'm better than you. And there was just some real conflict in the church. I think it's interesting that the last verse in chapter 12 says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I am going to show you a far better way, which leads into chapter 13. So, we're going to talk a little bit today about that far better way. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with chapter 13. You've probably heard it at weddings or lots of different th times. But um, as I was looking through some different translations, I was really struck with the wording of the uh, uh, New Living Translation. We're going to read through 1 Corinthians 13 in this version. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor 
and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only one part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Prophecy, excuse me, I'm waiting on Sophia. There we go. When I was a child, we don't have this rehearsed very well. Um, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God know, now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You know, that's a pretty impressive list, a resume of what it is to love others, right? But the question is, what's, what's the why behind the reason we are to love? Brenda and I were talking a little bit yesterday. She made a really good point that I think sometimes we sort of put love out there as, you know, there's something we're supposed to, it's on the do list, right? Well, I gotta love this person, and I gotta love this person. But I think as we read through this, it's more about who we are, and that love should come out as a result of who we are. If you look at the first three verses, you know, uh, if I don't love others, this is what really struck me about this version, but if I didn't love others, I'd be a noisy gong, I would be nothing, I would have gained nothing. That, that's pretty powerful language. So what we want to look at is just some questions about what it looks like to really love. What kind of love are we talking about? That's our next thought here. Um, it's really, one of the things I really learned from doing this lesson is how often agape love is used in the scriptures. All the verses that we're going to share through today mention the word love is agape love. Now, agape is a Greek word that means an unselfish, outgoing affection or tenderness for another without necessarily expecting anything in return. Think about God. It seeks a person's highest good on the basis of a decision of the will and an inclination of the heart. Well, I had to look up inclination. It's the urge to act or feel in a particular way. It is a natural tendency. So the question is, how do I get my heart to naturally want to love other people? It's a pretty simple answer. I can't. I can't naturally do that. So what does it take? It takes a transformation. It takes a new heart. When I was 16 years old, uh, my then-girlfriend and I attended a crusade at Masson Football Stadium and heard Bill Glass share his story and share the gospel. And I, I put my faith and trust in Christ. And one of the first things I noticed is that I began to love somebody other than myself. 
That was a new thing. That was a transformed heart taking place in me. We're going to look at a few verses here about a transformed heart. All right? So what I need is a new heart, not a behavior modification. One of my favorite verses about that is in Ezekiel 26 or 36 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So for those of you that have made a decision to trust Christ, I'm sure you've experienced what it's like. And I've heard some of your stories that are amazing to see what it's like to have your heart go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Psalm 51.10, this is David's prayer after he had committed adultery and murder. It says, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Hebrews 10.22 says, let's, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Romans 5.5, And hope does not disappoint because... The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. And remember, if you go back and look at all these mentions of love, it's agape love. All right? Isn't it awesome to think about that God's still in the business of changing hearts, of transforming hearts? So the question is, you know, as, as I thought about this, you know, what, the, what is this love like? I thought, well, what would be the opposite of love? So, of course, I Googled it. Right? And it's interesting when you read articles about the opposite of love, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is hate, right? I don't know about you, but I don't know if I have a long list of people I hate. I mean, if you throw out basketball officials and um, <laughs> politicians, um, that's not very nice. Um, but really, is it really hate? Probably, it's more for us, it's probably fear. It might be selfishness. The one that really struck me was indifference, that the opposite of love is indifference. I think that's probably true for me. So if we rewrote verses four to eight, and let's say we'll use the word indifference. Indifference is impatient, it's mean, it's jealous, boastful, proud, rude, demands its own way, irritable, keeps record of wrongs, rejoices in injustices, does not rejoice in the truth, gives up, loses faith, loses hope, it quits. Are there any ouchy words in there for you? Got smacked a few times as I read through that, all right? So what we want to look at now is, so where is this motivation to love? Where does it come from? Well, in 1 John 4, 7 through 11, it says, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. Remember, this is agape love. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And later on in that chapter, in 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother and sister, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brothers and sister. All right? So, you know, I was thinking about, well, where do I get a perfect picture of what agape looks like? Well, that's a pretty obvious answer, right? We look at Jesus' life. Go to the Gospels and read the Gospels. Now, Brenda shared a devotional, a couple devotionals with me about this topic. And one of the quotes that really struck me was, there was love in his eyes like no other human, human being on earth. You know, that just really struck me. Have you ever had someone look at you with eyes of love? I mean, they just look like right into your soul. And you know that it's with a look of love. Imagine what it must have been like to have Jesus look at you that way. Wow. Probably would have melted, melted your heart, okay? And as I was thinking about this, well, if Jesus is love, then every miracle that Jesus performed was out of a heart of love. Now, how do I know that? Well, if it wasn't, he was just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> and if you look at some of the, I just thought of a few that came to mind here. If we go on here, um, <clears throat> Jesus loved the least of these. From the lame to the leper. I don't know if you guys have watched The Chosen, and I know it's, I've been really blessed and challenged uh, with those uh, films, but I think they do a great job of portraying Jesus as loving the people that he, he ministered to and that he healed. You know, Jesus loved the Samaritan woman and went out of his way to meet her. In fact, we showed that video clip in FCA about two months ago. It was just really, really powerful. But it wasn't just the poor. Jesus loved the nobleman, son of a nobleman. He loved the Roman officer and his servant. Right? He even loved those who rejected him. Now, I didn't see this before, but the rich young ruler, we've heard lots of teaching on that. Mark 10, 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. Now, I'm pretty sure Jesus understood before this all took place what was going to happen, that this guy was going to walk. And yet Jesus looked at him with love and told him one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He loved those that were crucifying him. <clears throat> wow. Imagine being, I can't imagine. Imagine being crucified and having the power to say, stop, I'm out, right? In Luke 23, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Uh, he loved the disciple who denied him three times. Uh, the skit guys, I don't know if you're familiar. I know all these things from FCA, but the skit guys do an amazing skit on this verse in Mark 16, 7. And when the women were at the tomb in one of the Gospels, it says, the angel said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Isn't that amazing? God wanted to make sure. Jesus wanted Peter to know for sure. The disciples and Peter, you're invited. Even though you blew it, you're invited. And then at the end of John chapter uh, 21 is when Jesus, uh, it's a post-resurrection story where Jesus is on the shore frying a little fish fry, 
and he and Peter have a conversation about, do you love me? Just what an amazing thing. And you know what's even crazier than all of these? That he even loves you and me. All right? In verse 12 in chapter 13, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but the end of this verse says, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Isn't it pretty amazing to think that God knows you completely, and he still loves you? Wow. I'd be willing to bet that your best friend doesn't know you completely. I'd be willing to bet your spouse doesn't know you completely. Not as completely as God does. And yet he chooses to love us. That is really, really an amazing thing to think about. Now, the fact that he knows us, let's go to the next slides here. Here's some verses about God loving us, though he knows us completely. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about the last verse here. Verse 13 says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So, I just wonder, you know, why is love the greatest over faith and hope? And a few reasons that I came up with. One is love sums up the law, right? When they asked Jesus, well, what's the most important law? What's the most important laws? What did Jesus say? <clears throat> love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. All right? So it sums up the law. It gives life to our spiritual gifts. That's what we read in the first three verses. If we don't have love, we're just making noise. Third thing is it defines a disciple of Christ. In John 13, 34 and 35 says, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Fourthly, it is who God is. Love is who God is. That's why it's the greatest. And the last thought I had on that was Psalm 63.3, which the first part of that verse says, because your love is better than life. Um, it's been a couple months ago now, but I, I've been reading through the book of Psalms, and I was reading that psalm, and it just really hit me in the face that God's love is better than life, right? And I've been trying, haven't completely got it down yet, but when I'm tempted, when I want to say something I shouldn't say, look where I shouldn't look, do those kind of things, this verse comes to mind. And when I think about it, that God's love is better than life, well, obviously it's better than this mess that I'm looking at or this attitude that I have or this action that I'm considering, right? Because God's love is better than life itself. Pretty amazing. So how big is God's love? Ephesians 3.17, and again, remember, this is agape love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, what an amazing thing to think how huge God's love is. Now Jesus set a really high standard for us, by the way, not only in 1 Corinthians 13, but in Luke chapter 6. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And in verse 35, love your enemies. Now I have WCRF on in my truck most times when I'm driving, and I heard Tony Evans talking about God didn't call us to like our enemies. God called us to love them. I don't have to like officials, all right? But I do have to love them, okay? And that's true for all of us. So love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will, be, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. <clears throat> you must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. I don't know about you, I can't live that way. Not on my own strength, don't have a chance. The only way I have a chance to do that is to allow the Holy Spirit to transform my heart and to love people as Christ loves through me. You know, as, as sort of a closing thought here, in the devotion that Brenda shared with me, there was a think about it part at the end. It says, Jesse, you want to pull that up? Think about it. The harm instigated by caustic Christians, hopefully you don't know any of this, not only injures the body and destroys the church's testimony, but Jesus said whatever we say and do to each other is the same as if doing it to him. I, be I believe Christ will ask our ministries, I think he'll probably ask you and I, did you love well? Did you show them my love? You know, why are those two questions so critically important? Because the stakes are so high. We're talking about eternity here. We're not talking about an abundant life. We're not talking about what's for lunch. The stakes are, we're talking about every person that you and I meet is going to spend eternity somewhere. That is a sobering, sobering thought. So to treat them, to love them well, and to be able to introduce them to Jesus is the most important purpose we can have on this earth. All right? Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's uh, humbling to think that you love us in our often sinful condition, that we refuse to uh, <clears throat> maybe accept your leading. I thank you, God, that... Uh, You've given us your spirit to transform our heart, to give us a heart of love. God, help us to love the people who's, uh, who cross our paths each day, to, to look into their eyes with hearts of love, to realize that they're spending an eternity somewhere, and Lord, that we would point them to you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to do that. Thank you for rescuing us in our sinful condition, that we could spend that eternity with you as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.